Today I'm joined by Emma O'Brien. Emma has worked in mental health social work for over 10 years and wrote Measured whilst in recovery from anorexia. Measured is a play that I was lucky enough to see this Saturday just gone and so I wanted to sit down with Emma to ask her all the questions that were rushing through my mind as I sat on the tube on Saturday night. Hello Emma. Hi thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for coming. It's it's so good, especially like I was saying just a second ago at such short notice. Um, I still feel like the you know the the play really really resonated with me, so I felt really lucky um, to be able to go and see it. So I wanted to sort of start, if it's okay with you, by just for the listeners giving a bit of overview of what Measured is about. Um, basically, it's a play about um, recovery. It starts with um, the main character, Sophie, being discharged from hospital. And it's basically about her trying to reconnect with her her relationships, really, to her boyfriend and her younger sister, and kind of, through the play, um, come to terms with how um, her illness has affected them. And I think also um, I wanted it to be particularly about the transition from hospital and that feeling of kind of being stuck. I feel like Sophie's kind of stuck at a point in her recovery where she doesn't want necessarily want to go back, but she's not entirely sure she wants to go forward. And it's kind of trying to represent that sort of really difficult period of treatment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think you you highlighted it all so well, um, especially sort of that that stuckness. Um, and I think one thing that really stood out to me was just the frustration of kind of not really knowing what she wanted to do, whether she wanted to continue or not, and sort of being pulled in both directions from her loved ones and from the eating disorder. Um, I guess I wanted to ask if it's okay with you like how much of the play came from your personal experience was it like a direct thing or was it sort of a mix of kind of experiences you've heard from other people as well um it's 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 a mix really um I obviously I was in I was unwell when I wrote it I was in treatment um when I started writing it I was doing a master's in creative writing at Newcastle University a few years ago and I was quite unwell through the period that I was doing that. And what became measured was my uh, my final portfolio piece. So some of the scenes that are in the play are the scenes that I originally wrote for that reason, and we weren't really thinking of getting it made. Um, I became, I think, more unwell after that and spent a bit of time in hospital and finished it. I think we, well, we were rewriting really up until the first week of rehearsals was the basic body of script is we did two weeks and um, research and development at the end of 2019 at that point I think I've been stable in my recovery for about six months and when I was writing it partly because um, it was a writing exercise in a way and partly because I felt it might be too um, difficult the the character Sophie is very specifically not me She's kind of, she's very different from me in a lot of ways. And I very deliberately made her very different from me because I felt that it would maybe be easier to write honestly when I'm not kind of representing myself in a way. Kind of say, oh, you know, well, it was it was really, you know, I did this and it wasn't great. But at the time kind of thing, I, I feel like it's important that Sophie is sometimes quite deliberately unpleasant. And I feel like that's um, a defense mechanism for her. That is something that I think certainly I've done myself, but I know a lot of other people have, it's something I've seen in a lot of other people. And in terms of kind of writing about relationships, I think, again, I made the relationship different from mine. Like I do, um, I have a sister and my relationship with my sister she she's probably been quite affected through her life by my illness and the results of that but my sister's very close in age to me in fact we used to share a bedroom so we basically grew up together so when I was writing that sibling relationship I very deliberately um, made and uh, Sophie's sister Lucy is much younger than her and she's her her half sister from her mother's marriage to her stepfather and I felt like it was 
really useful in writing that relationship for me to set myself a very different dynamic to the one I have with my sister, who kind of has has been basically in the same room as me all my life, you know. I thought that this particularly the, the gap in age between them, it, it leaves you more space to explore kind of the the impact your behavior can have without you realizing it and even when you're very actively trying not to impact someone i think at the point we were developing it i said at one point i think the real key issue in the play the moment where it turns is where sophie begins to think about lucy because lucy really has been the most uncomplicated relationship that she has in her life, I think there's a line in it where she's talking about her sister, where she says, well, you know, she was a baby and you can't get angry with a baby, can you? Babies are just nice. And I think that she felt that was a relationship that she could just pour a lot of affection into. Mm-hmm. And it becomes quite painful for her when she has to stand back and realise that actually, however much she's tried to protect her sister, she's inevitably been exposed to some things. And I don't know how I don't know how my sister would have felt if I'd written our relationship. And obviously that's that's the thing I would have to consider as well. Um, But for me writing it, I felt it was very important that I was writing someone who it wasn't a straight autobiography. She wasn't me. And she doesn't, you know, act in the ways that I acted. And her sort of the trajectory of her illness isn't the same as mine. And her family setup is very different. Yeah, absolutely. I think... um... One thing that, I mean, loads of things you just said I want to pick up on there, but the one thing that um, I really liked in Measured was when um, Tom, um, Sophie's boyfriend, was saying about, you know, why are we not talking about how frustrated we are? Why are we not talking about the fact that we don't want to be a dolphin and that, that, you know, Sophie isn't a nice person sometimes? And I think that just really hit me because from my personal experience, there are so many times where you know, my parents or my friends would try to sort of alleviate the situation, do everything that they could to make it better. But actually, you know, my personal experience is that my eating sort of did make me a horrible person. Um, And I think it's so important to highlight that, to know that, you know, if someone is like, they have a loved one who has an eating disorder, that they do potentially become a not very nice person. But I don't know, I always saw it as it wasn't me, but equally I didn't want people to just accept the fact that it was okay for me to not be very nice because I think, you know, we do need to have open discussions about the fact that, yes, you're struggling with your mental health, but actually you're being quite horrible right now and that's not fair. Yeah, I think there's a degree to which um, when you're saying, oh, you know, my, my eating disorder makes me do this, I think that's very true and that way of, I mean, the way of speaking about your eating disorder is separate from yourself, that kind of externalising is kind of a lot of the, the treatment I've had has been sort of based on that method and saying, you know, what is it that your, your eating disorder is telling you? What is it that it wants? But I think also to, to an extent that does create a bit of a, a space where you can kind of say, oh, it wasn't me, it was my eating disorder and you can maybe get away with things that you probably wouldn't wouldn't would have been called on in other um circumstances and I feel like I kind of wanted to say you know it's it, it, it's okay to to get annoyed and to feel like you're being um you know to, to feel like you're up against something and that nothing you do is good enough and it's you know it's not a choice that someone's made to have that illness but they're not necessarily aligned with the better parts of themselves when they're unwell. And it's not necessary, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to say that really. Yeah, definitely. And I think that was something that I felt was really well highlighted in measured was that it is okay for, you know, the ones around the individual with an eating disorder to sort of share what they need from the situation. Because I think so often it's it can be almost all about the eating disorder, all about the person with the eating disorder rather than kind of those around them. Um, and I think that was that was the thing. I mean, at one point I was literally, my eyes were pouring. Um, I just think that you, you've got everything. So you kind of knocked the nail on the head with everything. Um, but it was almost the impact that, the eating disorder was having on others um and I think you know I've 
I've been in recovery for a very long time now and I've had a lot of conversations with kind of family and, and, and friends, my boyfriend, but I think actually seeing it like like acted out really hit home as to how much of an impact you have. And I think often it was kind of like you were saying earlier with, with Sophie's sister in that even though you try and pretend that there's nothing going on and you try and mask what's going on, people around you still notice it and it still does have an impact on them. So I think that was something you did really well. I think there's a bit um, where um, Lucy, who's Sophie's younger sister, is talking about how um, she she wondered if maybe she had made things worse by being annoyed with, I think, that the situation that she describes as one that is something that actually happened to me and used to happen quite frequently. Um, when I was younger is I would um, I would only eat in certain places and that meant obviously that my family as a result of that could only eat in certain places and that I've got two younger siblings and though they never said it I feel like that that's something that was probably quite annoying for them and I think it's you know the bit where kind of Lucy says maybe she she wonders if that's what made Sophie ill again is that she didn't understand enough but she she had no way of understanding that she had no way of knowing it and it's not you know it's the, that that doesn't mean that you've been you haven't been supportive or that you're causing the problem or that you're not helping it's a it's a human response really there's only so much pressure someone can be under without kind of having some perhaps uncharitable thoughts and that's not necessarily you know it's 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 not going to make things worse really if you take a minute to say I'm really frustrated by this I've really had enough mm. I, th I think that's in not a sense it's it's such a difficult thing to do but it is sometimes almost the wake-up call that somebody with an eating disorder kind of needs I think kind of one thing that I was reflecting on was so many things that I did um did do or you know still kind of do have just become sort of natural patterns and actually sometimes people saying you know this is actually quite inconvenient that this is happening um for, you know for example like if I'd struggle to choose up somewhere to eat and then my boyfriend even now saying you know this is actually a bit of an inconvenience I'm like oh god yeah like it's not actually just as simple as kind of allowing myself to do this all the time um one thing I wanted to ask you if so if the whole thing kind of was based some on your experiences but also not um when you had the perspectives of of Lucy and Tom were they based on kind of your like your loved ones experiences or is that part of the research that you did I think it's largely part of the research I mean I think I um try as, as I said to you I tried very consciously not to write about myself so it's kind of like this is not my relationship this is not the, the sort of the context that I live in and that made it I think easier to write and probably easier for me to say you know oh her poor boyfriend in that situation because I, I I don't have a boyfriend so I don't have to worry about my boyfriend in that situation you know and I'm like oh that 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 put that poor young girl you know who's in this situation actually my sister was only two years younger than me at the time so she was an adult through a lot of it but still probably saw a lot of things that she would rather not have seen um I think I've got a number of kind of friends who are in recovery who are in various stages of recovery and knowing kind of the relationships they've had and the um kind of the issues that have come up for them was useful as well I think it's a bit of a I was quite nervous about putting it out because I did kind of wonder if people were going to go oh my god you're saying that people with an eating disorder choose to be awful and that you know they could just stop anytime they wanted to and that they're just be, they're just ruining everyone's lives and that's absolutely not what I was trying to say. I just kind of felt like that stage of recovery and that kind of creeping sort of where the awareness comes in of the things that you've done and that you perhaps didn't really worry about at the time because you were so motivated by your eating disorder and that was the only kind of goal that you had in mind. And when you start to become kind of more well and you have a bit of distance and you step back and you think, actually, yeah, that was that was quite bad. And I think I've tried very hard not to mention any particular symptoms or behaviours or kind of anything that could be triggering or that someone could use as a benchmark. Mm. But I think it's something that happens kind of with your, your own symptoms as well, where when you're unwell, you kind of feel, like, oh, this is fine, this is fine, this is fine. And then it's only when you, you get a bit of shit. Actually, that, that, that was frightening. That was a really 
you know, that was a really unpleasant situation. I was actually in a lot of danger at that point, whether or not I felt at the time that, that I was. Yeah, and I think that benchmarking continues in recovery as well. I think it's a it's a, a way that people used to say, oh, well, I used to do this. So doing this isn't actually as bad as what I used to do. So, so I'm getting better. Um, but I think that sort of attitude then allows behaviours to remain um, and kind of persist so that... Re- you know recovery is prolonged or the eating disorder stays for a longer period of time I think I think so I think um an issue I have with a lot of kinds of media about recovery is that I feel like some people are kind of stuck in this quasi recovery mm. and they they almost kind of legitimize that and hold that up as this is as recovered as you'll ever be this is what recovery looks like rather than kind of say actually I'm, I'm not there and I'm still doing things that I know are wrong and I'm still kind of, you know, in a place where I'm, I'm struggling to make the choices that I need to make. And that, that's, um, I think, as well, a lot of narratives about eating disorders either start kind of a sort of straight autobiographical narratives where it's oh this was my life and then I got this unwell and it was this bad and I was in hospital and then I got better and everything was fine again. And I think I specifically wanted it to start on the day that Sophie comes out of hospital, because that's to me is the bit that you don't see. You see people going in, you see what happens on the ward. We, we can all talk about that till the cows come home, but I'd never kind of seen anything in that bit where you get kind of back out and back into your life. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. I think that transition into normality, which I think, you know, you documented so well, is that bit that we miss out on. But like you said, it's probably the bit that people need the most help with because it's almost the bit that is the scariest bit. And it made me think when you were talking about, you know, coming out of hospital and kind of going back into normal life, is that balancing act of, and it's like something's got to give, you know, when you're in hospital, you're all focused on either the eating disorder or recovery or, or you know, you can encompass them together as the eating disorder. But when you then come out of that, you know, you've got relationships that you have to balance. You might start going back to work. So I think that there is so much more to it than maybe we kind of hold on to in terms of, oh, I came out of hospital and I'm carrying on with recovery. It's it's kind of understanding that balance as well of that, you know, one day if the eating disorder is being really loud the relationships might struggle but equally you've got those relationships so they need to continue I think for me something that I personally felt quite strongly about was I don't really want to see myself as always being in recovery Mm -hmm. I mean I'm obviously you know I'm aware of the the kind of the nature of eating disorders and people do relapse and that you know it's something that will be at the back of your mind but for me I kind of feel like if I said you know oh I'll always be recovering I'll always be recovering I would be leaving myself space to go back into that and to kind of go oh well it's okay for me to do you know to do this behavior just this once because I'm still recovering and it's okay for me to you know do things that make choices that I know really are driven by my eating disorder and not by what I want because I'm still recovering and it's it's kind of I feel I mean I understand where that comes from and I work um now I work in a drug and alcohol service and that the model of addiction is kind of very much you know you 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 will always be an addict and you'll have to face that every day kind of over and over again but I'm i I'm not convinced that it's necessarily always the best thing for people with with eating disorders. I think we need to at least have that possibly uncomfortable conversation and say, are we always in recovery or are we kind of holding ourselves? For me, I think I when I started to write the play, I was in I was under a day service. I was being treated in eating disorders day service. And at the time that we started making plans to get on I'd um, relapsed and had an inpatient admission and I think what I learned from that and what's kind of kept me well since then which is um, about it's actually about three years ago um, this week that I was admitted um, that you can't have a, a little bit of an eating disorder you have to consciously give it all up and that's obvious. It's not something you do immediately because it's overwhelming and it's it would be impossible to go. I'm, I'm just going to I'm just going to wake up and I'm not going to be ill anyway. Obviously, that's that's not at all what I'm saying. And that's not what happens. 
but I think it was that kind of thing so that I, ca I can't keep any of these behaviors I can't do it just a little bit I can't kind of maintain this where it's it's kind of okay but I, I have to say that I'm gonna over and over again I'm gonna say no I'm actively not doing that and sort of confront it oh, multiple times a day which is a really difficult thing to do and it does I think I mean three three years later does get a lot easier and a lot of things that I had to very consciously kind of force myself to do a couple of years ago I can I can do now without thinking about it and that's you know I, I think it's I don't want to say you know that it's 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 all fantastic and you know your your, your life will be your life will be brilliant nothing will ever be wrong again and you'll never have another bad thought <laughs> but it, it it does become a lot easier just as you may you keep making that decision and some then one that you notice that you actually didn't have to make the decision you just did the thing that you you needed to do yeah I think there's a line um that I think I gave to Tom in the play which came from um the the nurse that I used to work with the disorders nurse and she used to say to me like you know talking about eating isn't it talking about eating isn't eating you know making meal plans isn't eating you know talking about what went wrong isn't eating and she was right really and I, I got very annoyed with her saying that quite a lot of the time but at the end of it she was you know that that's she's right you know we can do all of this stuff we can we you can be in an impatient ward and you can have all these things going on but if you know you're not if you're not doing the thing that is uncomfortable that's frightening then you, you're 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 going to be stuck really and it's it's a, it's it's an incredibly difficult thing to do and I think that sense when you get out of hospital and I think in particular for people who are not or are never were at a terribly low weight where you would look at them and you would go oh 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 and you would you would know just by looking at them that they had an eating disorder I think that level of, of turmoil can be very kind of it, it can perpetuate your illness I think it can keep you in that cycle because you're like I need to cling to it because nobody nobody can see nobody can tell and I, I I don't know how to deal with that yeah I think that's the thing isn't it it's I think the the behaviors almost you know in that quasi recovery state um it's it's I think it's quite comfortable to just have a few things that you hang on to and you can sort of rely on but like you've just said you know eating sort of recovery isn't comfortable and unfortunately it's not meant to be comfortable um but you know I think that is the only way like you said to get to that full, fully recovered state is to just every time that thought comes into your head just to say no um but I can really resonate with what you were just saying about you know not not feeling heard and holding on to those behaviors because I personally was diagnosed with atypical anorexia so the people that are, were around me knew that I'd lost a lot of weight but you know out there in the general public I, I just looked a healthy weight um and that's what why I found so difficult was you know nobody ever really took me seriously anyway so I've got to now hang on to this forever yeah I think it's it's something I found alarming over the years um, when I've had contact with people who had through work who've had maybe bulimia or binge eating disorder. And I mean, my diagnosis went from atypical anorexia to anorexia, depending on what time of the day I got weighed at one point. So it's, you know, these things are really just ridiculous wow. little lines in the sand that don't mean much. And I, but the number of people who I spoke to or who I assessed who would say, oh, I tried to be anorexic and I couldn't do it. And that that diagnosis seemed like a, a holy grail. And you would have people who, you know, who were seriously ill, who were suffering horribly and who were putting themselves at awful physical risk and saying quite openly, I want to be anorexic. I'd love to be anorexic. And obviously they're, they're not saying I want a fatal mental illness that will occupy my every waking moment. What they're really saying is I want an illness that people understand. Mm. And that's recognised rather than... Yeah, ex ex exactly. I think that's, that's a big issue. And it's partly to do, I think, with the way that a lot of eating disorder services are set up because they... Uh, tend to be very narrowly commissioned for sort of really only for 
people with severe anorexia and severe anorexia being defined by BMI, which it shouldn't be in any case. Um, and I think that kind of creates, I think they call what they call a perverse incentive almost. And a number of times I used to work in an initial referral service and I would get a referral to the eating disorders service from a GP. And we would have to go back and say, you know, the, the eating disorder service doesn't see people with this, with these problems, even though it's an eating disorder and we can see them, but the eating disorder service won't see them because that's a very narrowly commissioned service. And I think, you know, I have, you know, and again, I would say, well, you know, they said they wouldn't see me and I thought, well, I'll show them, I'll get there. Mm. And it's a very kind of dangerous thing to, an incentive to create, I think, for, you know, an illness that is so much about constantly comparing yourself to other people. I mean, even in this, if you're not sort of particularly competitive in terms of your eating disorder, which I mean, for, for me personally, I have never really been kind of affected by, you know, think, oh, she, you know, is a bit thin, so I've got to have what she has. I've got to have the same meal plan as her or I've got to have. But I do constantly and painfully compare myself to other people and find myself lacking compared to other people. And that, I think, is how you end up with that kind of, I need to be, I need to be, you know, the best um, anorexic because that's the only thing I'm good at and that's the only thing I've got yeah and I think we we kind of struggle to talk about it sometimes because I think we don't want to increase the stigma around it and we don't want to say that people are choosing to have an eating disorder or that they're enjoying having an eating disorder and of course they're absolutely not but I think until we all kind of address yes there is a certain kind of prestige that a diagnosis of anorexia has and until we all admit that we you know we feel that and until we all admit that that's what people are we're not going to get rid of that it's almost like it's the awkward elephant like in the room that everybody knows but nobody wants to admit and I think you're so right and I think Another thing that I found was, um, you know, I was very fortunate and I didn't get turned away. I did access treatment, um, but I personally didn't feel like I was taken seriously because of the atypical anorexia. But I, you know, I tried to get that, you know, like we're saying, quote unquote, that prestigious diagnosis, but I couldn't reach that point. So that just to me felt even more shameful um, and almost like a fraud. And, and like you said, when when you do have an eating disorder, it feels like that it's the only thing that you're good at. So then to not, you know, get that prestige, um, I think is very difficult. But I think you're right in that I've heard a lot of people say, you know, that's the eating disorder that they want, because like you said, it's I, I think one, it's society in that, um, you know, being a low weight is glorified and being able to restrict your food intake is glorified but also I think like you said it's because it's understood um I don't actually think it is understood at all because like you said I think people think that you choose to have an eating disorder and that you can just click your fingers and recover um but out of the eating disorders I think you're right in that it is the most understood so I guess I think it's also because it's a visual thing you know eating disorders don't have a look but like you've said earlier if if you looked you know and somebody and they had anorexia you you might you might be able to tell if they're appearing at a low weight but for the other eating disorders you can't see that visually so I think it's then even more difficult for people to comprehend I found uh, quite recently I found um something that I wrote uh, around about the time I was starting to write the play um, and I was in day treatment at the time and I was coming to a point where um, I was I was going to be probably leaving treatment in the next couple of months. And during that time, I had um, a, a cracked tooth. And what happened was the um, the enamel on my tooth eroded kind of right down to the nerve. And I it was excruciatingly painful. And I remember thinking at the time, this is kind of where I am now. I'm like my own tooth because the the enamel that I had of my oh, oh, look at her. She, she's unwell has gone. And I'm just left with this raw nerve and I'm just walking around as this raw nerve and <laughs> no one can see it. Yeah, that, yeah, I think that's a brilliant analogy.
And I think that's almost what it feels like when you weight restore is I've still got all these psychological thoughts that are going through my mind, but nobody sees them anymore because I look okay. I think I really struggled to articulate this in the play. And I think partly it was because um, I kind of felt that I had a responsibility to write, you know, a PhD dissertation on eating disorders, when in fact what I should have been writing was a drama about these people. And the, the way that I put it in, in the end, is there's a speech where um, Sophie's explaining that when she was a teenager, she used to be able to speak French. And um, because she didn't use that skill, she no longer has it. And she compares that to how she feels about when her illness was, was life-threatening. She feels as though it's, a, it's a, a, a skill that she had, a discipline that she's now lost. And I was really worried about putting that bit in because I thought it's maybe that kind of say, am I, am I glorifying it there? But I couldn't really think of another way of expressing that kind of the attachment that you have to your eating disorder as painful as it is and as awful as it is that kind of this this is something that I've got it's it's that basically it becomes so important to your identity even if you're not you know even if you don't necessarily identify yourself as as having and being anorexic or whatever if you never get into inpatient treatment this is something that you've invested a lot in and the feeling of having that taken away, I think, is, is really difficult to describe in a responsible way. Yeah, I think um, I think it is a difficult thing to admit, but I do think that there is a reason why eating disorders are hard to recover from. And that is because there are things about them that do make you feel I mean, it maybe it doesn't actually make you feel good. But at the time, it does make you feel good. Um, and like you said, I think that's a difficult thing to um to communicate but I think you're completely right and I think that's such an important thing to explain especially when people are going through recovery and that it can't you can't just um you can't just snap out of it there has to be something to replace it that allows you to feel the way that the eating disorder helped you to feel whether that is to feel safe or you know to not be bored or, or whatever emotions coming up for you I think that's really important I mean I, I was treated um several years ago at the anxiety disorders residential unit at the Bethlehem Royal Hospital in London for OCD and um, for very treatment resistant OCD and for me personally I think my eating disorder very much had its roots in in OCD and I think in a sense, after I had that treatment, I almost replaced one with the other. It's sometimes difficult to tell with me which, which is the issue. Um, but there was a session that we had um, where we were asked to write a letter to our illness and to say that we were grateful for everything that it had done for us, but that we didn't need it anymore and we were going to leave it behind. And I remember a couple of people in that session being absolutely furious. I remember a guy kind of storming out in tears and um, he wouldn't come back. And he was saying, you're saying I've chosen, I haven't chosen this. It's ruined my life. It's ruined. And we're, we're all there. And these are all people with a extremely debilitating anxiety disorder that has essentially taken away their ability to, to function properly. And that is, you know, has resisted a lot of treatment and, I found that I'd never considered before that maybe it was doing something for me. And it's not something that I chose and I would never choose it and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But I think for me, when I was a turning point, what, what, what is this doing for me? What's keeping me here? I'm not having fun. I don't feel, you know, I, I don't feel attractive. I don't feel pleasant. I don't, you know, I don't feel like this wonderful person with all these skills. I feel awful, but I'm giving all of my time to this. What am I getting from it? What's keeping me here? And that I think was a massive um, turning point for me in, in my, with, with, from OCD, from anorexia, from everything, that kind of thing is what, what function is this serving for me? What is, what is keeping me here? And I think it's 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 very difficult. And obviously, as I said, my my sort of the people that I was in treatment with found that very distressing, and they found that almost accusatory. Mm -hmm. And that the you know that 
what the treatment is saying is you've you've done this on purpose because you're getting something out of it and how do we address that this is serving some even if we don't necessarily know what it is it's serving some really deep function for us fulfilling some kind of need that we have how do we identify that so that we can then say okay I'm going to do this in a healthier way this is what I need this is what I you know this this is this is I'm this is what's painful. This is what I'm struggling with. And how do I meet that in a healthy way? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're so right there. And, you know, I mean, I'm just talking about eating from the perspective of an eating disorder here, but I think so often we think that it's all about the food when actually when you look below it, it's serving a purpose. You know, it's allowing you to maybe communicate things or whatever. And I think it's, you know, it's so important to look beyond that and to think what is this, what is the purpose of um of this eating disorder and you know what role is it playing in my life so that you can then kind of break that down and think about, you know, like you said, what can I replace that with? I just wanted to ask you, um, as we were talking about purposes, when you wrote the when you wrote measured, did you have like a a goal or was there a purpose for measured or was it literally kind of just part of your therapy to write about it um it was it was an assignment actually um at the time um about I was kind of feeling very kind of struggling in a lot of ways and I decided that I would do a, a master's degree in creative writing which is something that I wanted to do when I left university but unfortunately at the time I, I, I was again not very well and I wasn't able to and I decided that I would do that and it would give me kind of a something you know oh well I'll be I'll be out you know two nights a week I'll have something to do I'll be going to my class in the evening and it became I think almost I would say at this point nearly life-saving for me that um that degree because it was people suddenly started telling me that I was good at something and I remember when when I picked when I submitted my first um, assignments um, I was in hospital and I had to get permission to leave the hospital to go and pick up my marks and when I saw them I just burst into tears because I had given these bits and they, I've done what I need to do it's over and when they, kept, they were saying to me you know you, you're you're good you're good at something and these were not people who they have no reason to lie to me if you you see what I mean mm. and that I think was something that really sustained me um through that period and since at the time I wasn't thinking of getting it made it was to complete my my master's basically and getting that um degree became very important to me and I did and I actually I graduated at the the top of my class and that was again at the time was such a powerful thing at a time when I felt like I had so little to offer apart you know and that I was invested so much in in my illness that it gave me really some actually you know I'm good I'm good at something else mm-hmm. and um I, I this is something I can do and so I think when when after that I started to kind of tentatively think about getting it made but at the time I wrote the basically the the, the main structure of it I was just thinking about passing my my master's which I did obviously very very well and then that kind of I think emboldened me a little bit to go um maybe I, maybe I could get this made maybe you know maybe someone would want to make it and um my Juliet Burton, who is plays Sophie in the play, has been a friend of mine for several years, and she really wanted to play that role. And um, when she read it, she she really really wanted to to play Sophie, and we contacted um Cat Cat Roby, who's the director, and asked her if she would be interested in working with us on it. And Cat really, I think, if Cat hadn't got involved, I think I probably would have just put it in a drawer and and left it there and probably not gone back to it again. Um, the fact that she kind of read it and believed in it and was like, yeah, we can do something with this was so, it was such a, a motivating thing. I was actually in hospital at the time when we originally, I contacted Kat initially from my hospital room um, and we started to apply for um, Arts Council funding to develop it, which we did, um, I think, in November of 2019. And I came out of hospital, I think, in the June of 2019 so it was only a few months before we started developing it and I think even at that point even though I was still quite 
fresh in recovery and quite tentative. It felt to me like putting all my energy into this was definitely a better thing. And so then I started to think seriously about if we're going to make this, then we need to make it responsibly. And I need to make sure that there's nothing in here that is, you know, is potentially damaging, that is potentially glamorized. You know, hey, if you struggle with these feelings, come and develop an eating disorder because that will get you what you need or kind of, you know, oh, look, 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 look at how, you know, look, look at how unwell she is. Look at how terrible it all is. Here's a load of instructions on how how to do exactly the same thing. And so I, I spent a lot of time and I will read um, quite a lot about that and kind of making sure there was absolutely nothing in it that could be taken kind of to never mention her weight or even really her diagnosis. I don't think because um, what one of the reviews that we had um, kind of said, oh, well, one thing that I, I didn't really like about it was if I hadn't read the blurb before I came into the theatre, I wouldn't have known what her illness was until quite far into the play. And I thought, well, even though the reviewer kind of felt that as a criticism, I thought, good, good, because that means that I haven't filled an hour of stage time with a load of eating disorder tropes mm. that, you know, that I've, I, we've been discussing, obviously, what's going on in this young woman's head and not what she's doing in terms of her her symptoms or her behavior so although the, the reviewer thought of that as a negative I was quite pleased mm. yeah. because I thought that that means that you know at least I haven't fallen into a lot of really predictable traps about describing an eating disorder yeah absolutely and I think that was one thing that I liked so much was um you know from from doing this podcast one realization I've had is that even if someone's got a different diagnosis a lot of the kind of feelings and the emotions are consistent throughout eating disorders and mm -hmm. I think that was such a great thing about measured was I think it you know if somebody did go and they were kind of trying to relate to the show um like myself and my friend we have completely different experiences but it both it both touched us um you know quite a lot because it was it was you know so good to watch um and to kind of get that feeling of you're not alone in in that so you did that so well um and I'm so glad also that you didn't just put it into a drawer because I personally thought it was fantastic um and I kind of wanted to ask you know is there a future for Measured now like what's the plan I know that you're there's still a few dates in London just wondered if yeah any of the plans um we're running until the the 12th of March um a lot of people have asked me um kind of sort of on 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 twitter and things and people i know oh um would will it ever be will it ever be on up north will it ever be on and i think it's we would consider kind of possible obviously there's a lot of logistics um you know cat has a young baby and i think she has another job and obviously the actors are working actors and i have another job but i would very much like to tour it if that was something we could possibly do i would love to kind of take it to different places and different theatres and I think we were hoping as well at some point that we may be able to get a version of it into schools wow. which that I, I, I personally would love that I don't know if it's a bit too sweary for that I'd certainly have to do some redrafting but um, I really kind of like the idea of starting using it to start that conversation I don't know whether you've heard of Dave Chawner, um, but he's the comedian that talks quite a lot about his mental health experience. And I've done a podcast with him and I said to him, we need more things that are, you know, just like measured or just like his comedy that get people in that aren't necessarily interested is probably the wrong word, but interested, aware, whatever, of eating disorders. I think putting them into, you know, a creative realm it makes it more accessible for pe accessible for people so I think it's brilliant what you've done and I mean getting into school sounds fantastic I think there's so much in there that can be learned from um so that would be really amazing yeah that's kind of I'd, I'd really like to do um to do some more with it I mean what working with I, it's my first um I've never had a play produced and working with the actors has just has been amazing for me it's to see what they can I mean that what you what you saw I think when you went to see it is kind of so, so much more than what I gave them on the page they've done so much with it and that is 
brilliant. I mean, when I where I went um, for the the first week of the run, and I hadn't seen it because we'd still been working in rehearsal while I was back in um, back at my day job, and I'd kind of said to Kat. I have a real tendency, um, it's it's a sort of symptom of my OCD to, const- I, I, to constantly over-edit things. And I had to get to a point where I said to her, I'm not going to do any more with this. If you feel the need to make cuts or if you feel the need to put something in, you do that because if I don't give it to you now, I'm going to be picking at it when the actors are on their way onto stage. I'm going to be going, <laughs> hang on, I've just changed that line and I just need, and it's, it, it's not workable. And so it was lovely to see what they had done mm. with what I gave them. And I couldn't, have, I, I was so happy with it. I couldn't have the, I had to kind of resist the urge to sit and pick the script apart and go, I could have done this. I could have done this. So what I did was just kind of sat and watched, you know, the the way that the direction and sat and watched, you know, the actors and what the actors were doing. And when I did that, I loved it. I thought, oh, my God, this this is so much more than what I gave them. And I would really, really love to to do it more, to do things like that again. I felt that was a really probably one of the most satisfying things I've ever done. And we did I have had a few people kind of approach me variously and say that that they're in recovery and they they loved it and they felt really kind of you know represented seen by it really I suppose probably rather than represented and that was incredibly um powerful for me and really really a relief because I was so worried that there would be something that would trip people up or that they would feel like you know well, it might have been like that for you but it wasn't like that for anyone else and I know someone who came to me who um, had struggled with addiction who said that they saw a bit of themselves in it as well and that was I, I was really kind of moved by that and I thought if, if I've managed to do it in such a way that it's and I think you know some part of another part of the problem with media about eating disorders is that sometimes people will seek them out um whatever the the intent of the media was and use it as as to to trigger themselves almost or to gather information that they can use and that they'll do that quite deliberately and I was really pleased to think that I, I'd written something that not only could it not be used in that way, it was actually interesting to someone who didn't have and had never had an eating disorder and could relate to Sophie's kind of emotional turmoil in, in a completely different context. Because I kind of feel like this, this is definitely not a kind of a story that you pick up to learn how to be better at having an eating disorder. And that was a relief. No, absolutely. I think... I would completely agree on every level. I think it felt as though it was somebody coming alongside you in your recovery um, and being able to kind of have somebody that, like you said, that hears you and understands you. And I think that was the great thing about the fact that you didn't mention diagnosis or specific behaviours was that kind of a lot of people will be able to relate to that. And I think maybe even, you know, if, if it is somebody that's a carer or a loved one that's watching it, I think there were aspects of it because it was because it wasn't so specific to saying behaviors or whatever people that haven't had an eating disorder will also be able to relate on some level in terms of you know whatever their experiences are um which I think is was what was so so fantastic about it um so thank you so much for joining me um I really honestly do feel so lucky to have been able to speak to you because I know that me and (laughs) my friend George we had a fantastic time um I think you kind of explained this but George just did want to ask do you get emotional when you watch it or I guess because it's not a direct autobiography can you detach from it I think that's that's an interesting one actually I can detach from the script I mm. think I can detach from the script except the part that I find difficult to watch is um Sophie's monologue which is a therapy session and where she's desperately trying to explain kind of why she does what she does and what what it is that she feels 
And I really, really worried about that. And I thought, I can't get this right. I can't get this right. I can't get this right. And then when I saw the, the it being played and the actual kind of walking the stage and almost clawing it, and you could be clawing at herself and you could see in her face and in the way she was speaking that she she couldn't articulate it. And I, I don't need to write it down because you, you, can, you can see, you can see in the way that she's she's doing it, that, that that's exactly what I wanted, that she's desperate to explain and she can't. And that I do find that bit quite emotional to watch because I didn't realise that, that that would all be in the playing. I was so desperate to get the exact perfect words in and the exact way of describing it. And what I didn't realize until I saw you can't describe that's the problem that's that's why we're that's why we're doing that if I if I could write it down for you then you know I would you know none of none of us would be here and that that bit I do find quite um, emotional to watch still yeah and I think there's a bit um where Sophie's talking to her her sister and saying, you know, sometimes people don't know how to stop what they're doing. And there's a bit where um, April, who's playing Lucy, just kind of looks at her and it's the look on her face and she, and she says, but then why start? And it's the look between them, between the actor, actors, as that bit is delivered, that I do, I that does kind of punch me a bit. And I'm kind of like, that's not what I wrote. <laughs> that's better than what I wrote. <laughs> and I think that's the lovely thing about a play, really. I think I would much rather have written a play than, say, a novel, mm-hmm. because there's so much more that the actors can find in it. Yeah, definitely. I remember that bit. And I remember being like, oh, wow, that's that deep because it's true. But yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Um, and I wish you all the best. Um, if thank you for having me. Kind of keep on track of you know what what's going on um, with Measured and yourself. Is there anywhere that they can can follow that? Um, we are currently on social media as a Measured Fest. I think it's Measured Fest on Twitter and Measured Festival on Instagram. Because along with the um, the play, we've got a series of kind of comedy shows that are on later in the evening and all the um, profit we make from that will go to um, Beat and to Rethink Mental Illness. Um, I am on Twitter at um, Scouse Pie, which is... <laughs> is um, not not actually about pie it's 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 an endearment that my best friend came up with um, many years ago and I really should change it because it's not very um (laughs) that's when I was just messing about on Twitter with my friends but um yes I am I'm on there um Juliet who does a lot of comedy and um about mental health and who does a lot of work with mental health charities is um Juliet Burton on Twitter Um, I can't remember her Instagram off the top of my head, but if you search her on there, you'll find her (laughs) as well. Okay, amazing. Well, thank you so much, Emma. Great, thank you. Thanks. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.